0: Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall, and joining me tonight is my lovable Byroad sidekick, who's sitting right behind me. Uh, so I am actually slightly fearing for my life as I say that joke. Uh, Wilfred e. Harrig, how are you?
1: Yeah, it's not like normally where I have to use the power of the internet to like hack into your servers or whatever.
0: Yeah, you can actually do your meat damage tonight (laughs) rather than the usual net damage. How thematic. Uh, Yes, so on the topic of theme, actually we're not really talking about theme at all tonight, we're talking about purely spike-only topics. Um,
1: Um, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but we're going to discuss the competitive metagame of Android Netrunner as we usually do on the Winnie Agenda, so things are going quite well to answer your previous question. Um, Since we last recorded and released an episode which was talking about the core cards in core 2.0 quite a few interesting announcements have come out the first that we'll mention is that the ban list which was rumored to exist has been made official and it does in fact look like how we might expect so what do you what were your thoughts knowing that this was actually right and that this is the future of the game, you know, not just Core 2.0, not just Rotation, but Core 2.0 Rotation Banlist C2RB, as people are discussing.
0: Well, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I, I think when we mentioned on a previous episode that we were sort of preparing for the world's metagame, preparing for Rotation, and then this sort of rumoured list came about, we were pretty excited about it, because it meant that a lot of the cards that had dominated the metagame, like Temujin and Faust and various others, Cypher, which... We're already big players, pre-rotation. We're going to just completely dominate post-rotation when a lot of the other core set and rotated power cards were gone.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's given FFG a lot of flexibility to tinker with what they want Worlds to be and what they want the post-rotation format in general to be like.
0: And I think just from my or our initial testing, you know, we're just doing some testing this afternoon, it's sort of meant that this has been a true rotation in the sense that the most powerful cards in the game have actually really left and we're instead left behind with strategies that may resemble what we were trying to do before, but we just can't do them quite as well. And that in itself leaves open the opportunity to play different strategies to ones that were competitively viable before. Yeah, exactly. There's a big shift compared
1: to what we might have had if the power cards were still left legal as we sort of thought might have been the case for a little bit.
0: So just to run through quickly, we're not going to spend heaps of time dwelling on the, the banned and restricted list, but we will go through the cards very briefly. So on the runner side, the restricted cards, which means that you can only have one of these cards, but you can have up to a play set of that card, Yeah. Um, so um, up to three copies in your deck. You can
1: still have only the regular number, and they still require influence, you to spend influence as normal, so... I think this is something that was used in a Game of Thrones as well, Mm. uh, another FFG, LCG. And I feel like it's a fairly clean way to accomplish a couple of different goals that the NWL didn't so much in the sense that you can more narrowly target pairings of cards rather than just single cards. And additionally, it's probably a secondary goal is that I've found myself, and I think this has been a, common experience when deck building to just be awash with influence and influence is one of the more interesting parts of deck building i think so being able to to not necessarily have all of your influence taken up by mwl points is i think a breath of fresh air
0: yeah and it means that there actually is a lot more diversity because when the best cards cost influence you're just going to play them because they're the best cards and you're going to forsake the other options you may have had for influence. And that's what we found happening towards the tail end of the MWL. Whereas now you get to play these cards, which on the restricted list are some of the best cards um, and you still get your full influence quota, like you said. Um, so the the a lot of these cards are Shaper cards on the runner side. And I think that's because Shaper's had a lot of really powerful economy options, good recursion. Uh, and in film critic, the best way to deal with problematic agendas.
1: That's true. You say that, but Shaper probably before rotation was the worst faction mm-hmm. in com- the competitive metagame. So that hasn't seemed to have helped them so much. So what do you think has changed? I will just say quickly that when we're looking at the banned and restricted list, you might say, yeah, there are a lot of restricted cards that are Shaper, but there also aren't any banned cards that are Shaper. So maybe those two things sort of go together in that the decision was made about whether to restrict or ban the card based on the expected impact it would have on the post-rotation format, and just more of the Shaper cards have landed
0: on the restricted side of the line, which is less uh, punishing. Yeah, I think you're right. And that is, perhaps we'll start with the the banned cards instead, the restricted for that reason, um, because... In particular, so the list is Aaron Maron, Blue Moose, Faust, Rumamil, Salvage Vanadis Armory, Cipher, and Temujin Contract. And in particular, of those cards, Aaron, Temujin, uh, and Faust were really heavily played. Rumamil and Sifa obviously had three uh, MWL points on them uh, prior to this, so they weren't as heavily played. But even with three, Faust was still played sometimes. Uh, and Temujin and Aaron were also both played. Uh, and those three cards in particular, Faust, Temujin, and Aaron, really defined the competitive metagame on the runner side. So once you took those out, you were left with the next best package really being a Shaper package, I think, which is why we see a lot of those Shaper cards on the restricted list.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: Um, so I guess just quickly to comment on those banned cards, I'm really happy with that list. I think it got rid of Temujin in particular forces Corpse to play in a particular way. Um... Faust, as we've discussed many, many times, invalidates a lot of ice. And Aaron meant that now that NBN's lost a lot of its best cards, as we discussed last week out of the core set, it meant that tagging strategies just really weren't going to be viable. Salvage vanitas Armoury is one we might want to comment on quickly. Sure. So I
1: think that that might have been one that
0: few, relatively
1: few people had had a chance to play with. And it was sort of the centerpiece of a self damage combo deck that emerged in the last couple weeks of the format. In fact it is a bit interesting that it had been legal for a little bit and those cards had been playable but no one had discovered it really until the last couple weeks but especially given that the post-rotation metagame is a lot slower 1 and 2 doesn't have Jackson which is an important safety valve against Mill those two factors meant that in a post-rotation format it would have been not only a Strategy that FFG tries to discourage, which is fairly linear and non-interactive, but also one of the more powerful strategies that you can play of that vein.
0: Yeah, and I think the as you say, part of the issue was that cops just weren't realistically most cops realistically weren't going to be able to compete with the speed of that combo, and it was completely non-interactive, basically not requiring any runs.
1: Yeah, so the fact that, for example, you had pre-rotation a fully powered moon deck that could race it just because. Uh, Estelle Moon especially lets you snowball so hard but post rotation a lot of those cards that form the centerpiece of strategies on the corpse side like Estelle Moon were put on the restricted list or banned which we'll talk about a bit later meant that yeah like the whole point of this list is that the cards that are removed from the game aren't just replaced with other cards that are now the new best cards right? That, that are now uh, cut above the others.
0: Yeah, and I think there there's some people who have had some differing philosophical views o- over time about what the purpose of these sorts of lists are. And I certainly like to see these sorts of things breeding more diversity in the metagame. And that is a really hard thing to do when you're just designing this sort of list. But I think what this two-tiered list actually does, and this is a good segue into the restricted cards, is it says, yes, these cards that are over the power curve are gone. The next best cards, which would be dominant in the metagame that was left behind, are either also banned if, they're, if they are then over the power curve or they're restricted if we think we want you to be able to play them, but not all And I think that's a really elegant solution. One other card I just want to really briefly discuss on the ban list for runners is Blue Moose. Because uh, there have been a lot of people I saw when this list was announced saying, why on earth would this card be banned it doesn't really seem that good but i think for you and i we both put it in pretty much every runner deck as soon as it was spoiled or close to coming out um and we both felt like it was really overpowered so why did you why are you happy to see that on the list
1: so i actually think that it could have very easily been restricted but it takes away a lot of the interesting parts of the restricted list where you can use those cards to build your strategy when Blue Moose is very much not one of those cards, it's just far more efficient than any of the other options. So I feel like it would sort of have been an auto-include if you weren't playing any of the other restricted cards, which is not really,
0: I feel, the purpose of this restricted list. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And in general, I think, yeah, the, the power level on it, just two clickless credits per turn is probably just a bit too much, yeah. So onto the restricted cards, it's Aesop's Pawn Shop, Clone Chip, Employee Strike, Film Critic, Gang Sign, Inversificator, Levy AR Lab Access, and Magnum Opus. Now, one of the things that I found really interesting is that there are no Anarch cards on here. There's one criminal card. But I've seen every deck I think I've seen has played one of these cards. Um, And pretty much every deck that I've tried to build or played against would have wanted another one.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I feel basically the same way. Just because now that these are the best uses of your influence, even out of faction, and also the fact that I said before, which is that decks in general have more influence, especially corp decks, but runner decks as well have more influence, means that being able to spend most, if not all of your influence on cards from the restricted list, like if they weren't on the restricted list, would have been a very different environment to the one we have now
0: we would have seen a lot of levies a lot of employee strikes a lot of film critics in particular i think um but also a fair few clone ships too um yeah i think for me those are probably the four main cards on the list and then opus is obviously also very important actually that's also really important to be on there not every deck would want to play opus as its economy engine um but if you could play it in concert with the others i think it would be very difficult to design corp decks Um, that have a chance of winning. I know, you know, I've had moments where I've sat down in this format and when I see Opus, I think, okay, I can make use of the fact that they don't have Film Critic, for example. And and that's pretty cool. Because otherwise, yeah, there aren't many ways to interact with an active Opus um, that are left in the metagame for Corpse. Uh, Aesops, Gang Sign... An Did you sort of want to comment on any of those? Because I think they're probably the three more underplayed cards on this list. And Are you happy to see them on there, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, so
1: I think these are the bit more speculative ones where they've been put on there possibly because of the emergence of a dominant or potentially dominant strategy that plays those cards in addition to another card on the restricted list. I think we can think of, like, Kit... Um, Lila and a fair few identities for Aesops but those in particular would have synergized especially well with those restricted cards while if they had had another restricted card they would have been able to perhaps overpower the metagame but it's When you're building this sort of list it's always that sort of thing where you really don't know how things are going to turn out so sometimes it's better to be a bit more cautious on cards that have a large effect on the game even if they don't turn out to see as much play under the new restricted list system the inverse is a worse result where they end up seeing a lot of play and also transforming the game into a place that you don't want it to go so i think they're more defensive in that regard to put those cards on the list
0: I think, yeah, all good points. And I I think moving on to the corpse side, the ban list is smaller. uh, And I think that reflects the fact that post-rotation corps are a little weaker in general, I think, than runners. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Um, So the the cards that are on there are cards that you and I have discussed at great length as being cards that we don't like being in the game. So I think people will be unsurprised to hear that we're both pretty happy with them all being out of the game. Um, We won't go into great detail about, Mumbai City Hall in particular, we've talked about how hyper-efficient it is and what degenerate things it does, particularly in combination with the cards on the restricted list, um, or some of them. The political assets, likewise, um, three of the four are either banned or restricted, and I think the two banned ones, Clone Suffrage Movement and Sensi Actors Union, are so far above the curve that they just don't deserve to be in the game. Someone pointed out recently the politicals are all designed around... um, operations except sentient actors union which gives you an anonymous tip plus this just extra huge benefit as well which may have been thought to be a downside but just isn't at all friends in high places is the last band card the fourth one and again this has been the cornerstone particularly at one influence of degenerate corp strategies that try to win by attrition and it basically just breaks the whole economic balance of the game, because it allow it, the trash costs are supposed to be the downside of assets and having assets in your deck. And just like we've talked about at great length with Wizard making it hard to design asset trash costs because they have to be fair both with and without Wizard, I think friends in high places also makes it really difficult because you either have really low asset trash costs which, are, which allow runners to get rid of them and then you can friends them back and they can maybe get rid of them again. But then that requires everyone who's playing an asset to basically be playing friends
1: yeah well that's basically the political problem right is that they were designed i'm sure partially to be balanced around their low trash costs but in combination with all the other assets helping cards that didn't really turn out to be a drawback in practice and i think especially with restore having recently been printed that's sort of I see filling the role as the HP upgrade to interns in the sense that's slightly more efficient than interns is, but does basically the same sort of thing at a much fairer rate than friends does. Mm.
0: And so onto the corp restricted cards, Uh, bioethics is another of the political assets that's on there. I'm certainly really happy to see that. And I think that it's worth pointing out the corp restricted list is in some ways more about breaking up combos than the runner restricted list is. Um, you've got Bioethics, Mumba Temple, and Museum on there, all of which, oh, and Estelle, of course, Estel Moon, all of which are cornerstones or have been of various asset-heavy prison-style strategies or others in the case of Estelle Moon. Are you happy to see all those cards on it? Yeah, so I think
1: Mumba Temple is probably the one that's going to see the least play out of those just because it really thrived in combination with a lot of the cards that are now either restricted, removed, or have rotated. So I think from a power level perspective, that one probably could have gone either way, but the other ones definitely yeah, have been the cornerstone of decks that would have been far above the power curve if they had been left untouched.
0: Mm. Now Fairchild 3.0 is the only ice on the restricted list. Um, it's, I've said on this podcast before that I think it's a really good card. It's really well-designed, and I was happy to see Ice of that power level. Obviously, you don't want too many in the game, but I sort of felt like this having this one was good. I, I think this could have gone either way. I'm not too unhappy to see it on the list, um, but it probably would have been pretty ubiquitous, though I think HB is a little underpowered without it.
1: Yeah, I think the fact that, yeah, as you said, that's the only Ice does speak to... Perhaps the fact that ice, as we've talked about before, having ice being good in netrunner is sort of required for netrunner to be interesting in the ways that netrunner should be interesting, like that the, the runner is able to interact with the corpse game plan and the economy between the two sides, runner and corp, ebbs and flows throughout the game, which is a bit more true when ice is good than when it isn't, because you know you can pressure certain servers to make them go low, and then you have a bit more decision from the runner side and Fairchild I think sort of does more than any other ice to disrupt that just because it's so punishing to run into it any time other than your first click that having it run rampant possibly might have not been so good for a large sway to run strategies that want to run aggressively. So I don't mind seeing that on the restricted list. But yeah, as you said, I could imagine it having gone either way.
0: The two agendas on there are both five for threes, which is interesting considering how much we've talked about the low power in general of five for threes, although these probably are the two best of them, um, unsurprisingly. And that's Global Food Initiative and Obacata Protocol. Um, Obacata in particular, I think is a concession to the fact that film critics on the runner restricted list. And if Film critic's not available to everyone in designing their runner deck in, in the in, in a sense then it's probably unfair for overcada to be available to every gintaki deck
1: yeah i really feel like those two cards must have been designed around one or Overcard must have been designed around film critic yeah um and i think from in terms of gfi that's been one that we've been railing against for quite some time just because of how ubiquitous it is and how much more it gives you for your influence than any other card basically in terms of allowing you to play five for threes in your deck when before you couldn't especially in factions that aren't Ginteki.
0: cool and the last card on the list is hunter seeker which really is strongest in scorpios um but it's probably fair that scorpios decks don't get to access these other cards in particular gfi i think that those two sort of seem like a two card combo in a sense that the people designing this ban list felt like shouldn't go together.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say.
0: Cool, so um, that brings us to the end of the the, um, banner restricted list. And what we wanted to do now is sort of segue from that into a broader discussion of where that leaves the metagame. uh, Now that those cards are either out of the metagame or less likely to pop up or be slightly less ubiquitous, what are the strategies that are available to each of the factions that we think are going to be Powerful or interesting going forward. So, starting with the runner side, uh, let's talk through shaper first. Sure.
1: So, as we were discussing with the banned and restricted list, or removed and restricted list—is that yeah. what people are calling it? It's a banned list. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, regardless, whatever it has been deemed to be called, we've decided to call it the banned and restricted list, or so whatever. That's fine. Um, but in terms of shapers. Yeah, Shaper does have a lot of cards on that list, but also the cards from that list, they mostly go in different strategies, like I don't think Magnum Opus and Aesop's Shop have really seen a lot of play as a dynamic duo, Mm. and I think that's sort of a testament to how many viable strategies Shaper has now, so probably the couple that we want to talk about, well there are, you know, a few we could start at any point I think, but the, a couple that we want to talk about are a stealth-based Smoke deck, which has been good in the past with Temujin, and you don't really need to change that much to make it good now. Um, a magnum opus, sort of big rig um, deck that just likes to sit there, either in, uh, kit, either in kit or um, basically any other shape or identity, even in Smoke sometimes, or Chaos Theory depending on what specific cards you want to put in there. Um, Inversificator, of course, as we mentioned before, has heralded a kit deck, and yeah, the fact that you can't play Magna, Opus, and Inversificator together is almost certainly a conscious choice. The Hayley lock decks that we've seen in the past probably, we think, lose a fair bit from the restricted list, given that you know Film Critic, Aesop's, um, Employee Strike, and... You know, so a lot of other cards on the restricted list have found their way into that deck, especially even with Faust being banned. I don't think Faust being banned. And Levy is the other card. Mm. And I don't think Faust being banned necessarily is a death knell for that deck. Even Clone Chip. <laughs> and like, there's just so
0: many to mention, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah, Clone Chip, Aesops, Levy, and Film Creek. Those, those four cards are all cards that you would probably put in your first run through of a Hayley Lock deck.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so even though I think losing fast is not the biggest deal because you can transition into a regular read fairly easily the whole strategy of being able to basically rely on clot to stop the corpse scoring not through a remote and just have the best anti-remote tools i think that is one that maybe the restricted list has made a bit worse and i'd be interested to see if anyone has made that sort of strategy work because i think clot is a interesting avenue to approach at the moment just from the what is good on the corpse side Clot seems like a natural counter to some extent
0: so is there anything more you want to say about shaper yeah i guess just to say that um artist colony i think is probably an underutilized card at the moment uh and there are less two-for-ones now that breaking news is gone uh so possibly agendas are a bit larger and artist colony isn't as good without fansite um so perhaps that's a reason that having Artist currently and Side is a rather large package. And then if you're playing uh, regular Breakers as well, instead of Faust, it's starting to take up a lot of deck slots before you're even getting to your economy and your other cards. So I haven't, I have to say, uh, put together a Lock Haley deck since the list, um, but it certainly was a powerful strategy and was shaping up as being a powerful strategy in the post-rotation format. So it's certainly one that I'll be looking forward to trying out a bit more. Um, on the stealth side of things, uh, Shaper does have a few good economy tools, um, but none that are really bursty. And I think in general, you know, I love Lucky Find and I've played it in a lot of those sorts of decks, particularly as a complement to professional contacts, which gives you that um, tempo loss. Having Lucky Find to give you back some of that burstiness just means that it you can close down some scoring windows a little more quickly. But relying on Dirty Laundry and sure Gamble, neither of which are obviously as dynamic as Lucky Find, and obviously you've got fewer overall, um, because Dirty Laundry is not really even in the same category. It's really just Gamble. Um, Having fewer of those in your deck means that it can be a little difficult to close down those scoring windows, and Corpse can get away from you a little bit, unless you have a good start. So I'm not 100% convinced on stealth at the moment. I think, as is always the case with a slightly slower runner deck that's got a more slightly more reactive game plan. You then need to start making concessions to whatever corp decks are good. You know, you need to play your misdirections to deal with hard hitting news. You need to play film critics to deal with Ovocata and whatever else. Um and then it's always a balance of finding those silver bullet deck slots and balancing those out with the action cards that actually win you the game. So I, I haven't found the perfect balance with that yet, but there's certainly a lot of powerful cards there. Um and on the kit side of things, I'm not sure whether Not being able to play Mopus with your Inversificator is too much of a hit, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, I feel like that kit especially suffers from the problem you mentioned earlier where there's not that much burst economy. And I think you really need that burst economy to make Inversificator good if you're not going to have the chance to play Mopus
0: cool um so i think moving on to the next faction let's let's try Anarchs because i think they've been affected we mentioned them in our run aside review of the revised core set as being probably the most affected by the changes which is a good thing um and i think they are probably most affected also by the bannings in that all runner decks relied on temujin it's true but Anarch decks for their economy probably relied on it more than others um to some extent like it
1: depends on how you want to count it but yeah like successful anarch decks i think temujin gave them something that they didn't give to other factions that temujin didn't give to other factions just because of where anarch strength lie was a bit different than the other
0: factions it also made liberated account a lot better I think. Um, So now I feel like liberated account is probably in the worst position it's been for two or three years, really. Um, And it's starting to feel like that clunky card again, that I don't really like having in my runner decks, even though it is still one of the more powerful economy options. I feel like it's just a little bit too clunky and a little bit slow. Um, So where does that leave Anarch? They've still got some great tools. Like I've had worse. Uh, They've got some great breakers in the conspiracy breakers, but One of the difficulties now is that it's harder to plan a game plan around removing Ice from the board and the Conspiracy Breakers just aren't efficient enough to actually play that long game of Netrunner where you're consistently having to um, interact with Ice. Uh, So Anarchs are having to find either combo strategies using some of the more powerful new clan resources and other cards that have come out in the last couple of cycles, um, or rely on some other sort of attrition using Cutlery, which is Just a really clunky way to design a deck,
1: yeah, and it also struggles to some extent against a lot of corp strategies that don't necessarily rely on ice. Yeah, having to match your card to their card for your deck to actually even do something hasn't really been the best strategy, and that's why you know, tutors and AI have been so good, yeah, in from the runner side because that's fundamentally what icebreakers are they require you to match against the corpse ice, and cutlery just makes that's a lot more pronounced i think
0: Mm -hmm. particularly when they can't be paired with a powerful ai breaker um and we know that our mark this is probably a good moment to mention it is a powerful ai breaker but it really doesn't have the greatest synergy with cutlery
1: yeah it's sort of that's been a card that you know
0: we've spent a lot of
1: time on i think at this point just because the payoff is so high it is reminiscent of faust and of Atman and of other AI breakers like that, and to some extent, but a lot different in others. In that, it's a lot easier for the corp to deal with it. The so the case of using it as your primary or your soul breaker in a game doesn't, I think, have the same power as Faust did. Well, definitely not the same power that Faust did, but it's on a level below.
0: I think. One of the interesting things about Amakua is that it doesn't. It's not as easy to use on the turn you play it, which is really a lot of the way that we've used these AI breakers before is to be able to say, look, I can be impervious to ice for this run as long as I have enough money slash cards, depending on which one you're using. Um, whereas with Amakua, that's just not true. And Dean Lister is a good complement to it for that reason. Um, but again, that's another piece you've then got to assemble before you can start running.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm. I think... I'm interested to see definitely where Anarch goes from here, whether you're sort of boxed in to only playing strategies that sort of sidestep using the Conspiracy Breakers because yeah they really are inefficient despite their many strengths, like Anarch doesn't really have a great way to take advantage of those strengths right now. But of course they are still so powerful in terms of allowing you to run As long as you have the money without needing to install breakers first that if we can just find some way to take advantage of that fact that all your costs only need to be paid after the corp has paid their costs if there's a way to abuse that in some way i
0: think that's the next turning point for anarch maybe Mm -hmm. um so on to criminals who I think are a bit of a dark horse at this point like I'm, I'm not sure that anyone's really cracked the code of how to make a good balanced criminal deck in the new metagame but there are a lot of really powerful criminal tools like we were playing some games just before and you know Maxwell James is a really strong card in a metagame where corps are relying on ice a little bit more if that's how it turns out to be. Um, Crims also have some decent multi-access they've still got legwork they've still got HQ HQ interface Um, and obviously all runners have access to the turning wheel as well. Uh, The economy suite is damaged by the loss of Desperado and Temujin, but you've still got security testing, you've still got Tapeworm. um, Aeneas. Yep, Aeneas Informant, uh, Tech Trader if you're playing Geist. There's a lot of options there. Yeah,
1: but I feel like Criminal has been hurt the most
0: by the loss of Andromeda. That's fairly
1: clear to say, but in terms of the options now for identities are a lot worse for building that criminal deck that has been so strong which is to just put jam really all the good criminal cards together and just be be carried by the strength of your identity in the early game. That really hasn't come to fruition as much now, you really have to build all of the criminal identities in a bit of a different way than you did with Andromeda I think and while Criminal does have a lot of cards that are powerful, it seems more like you have to choose, you have to dedicate more of your deck slots to picking a strategy as opposed to having a hand drum in the deck that might have been 35 to 40 cards the same. And yeah, sure, those 5 to 10 cards did make a lot of difference because you got to tech that those cards for the metagame, but now you really have to pick a criminal strategy that's good against a corpse set of cards that you expect to see rather
0: than having a baseline strength that's a lot more powerful than criminals are now yeah absolutely and that's a really interesting place to be and in general i think reflects really well on this banner refli- band and restricted list and the metagame as it is what i sort of anticipate perhaps happening is that criminals sort of slide along on shapers coattails that shaper decks are potentially so strong that they will be the ones that warp the corp meta in the sense of your corp decks will have to be able to beat mopus you know take eight go 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 um as well as beating film critic as well as beating some of the other options on the shaper side you know stealth rigs that can deal with large ice efficiently things like that Um, that criminals might be able to find a way to sort of slide into the cracks there um and be good against the things that corpse are shoehorned into playing. Uh, I don't know whether it will turn out that way. Um, they may need to play, um, you know, Clone Chip Clot in Criminal as well as some of the other Criminal threats so that you can deal with fast advance as well as dealing with the Large Ice because I think that is the advantage that Crim's have over even Anarchs at the moment is that they are probably the best at dealing with the Large Ice if you want to build your deck that way, um, just with the D-Res cards. And so if you can find a way to also deal with the fast advance cards and the course they are going to do that, you've got inside job to deal with decks that try and rush out on you behind small numbers of ice early in the game, and that sort of rounds out a pretty decent game plan. Yeah, but it's
1: definitely not, I think, as easy to build as Andromeda decks were in the past. And, of course, Andromeda is not the only culprit of this, but it seems like at this point the primary reason that criminals are a bit lost in their deck building. They've lost their way a little
0: bit. Is because you don't
1: have Andromeda to lean
0: on. Mm-hmm. So that's um the end of the main factions on the runner side. I think it's it's worth briefly mentioning Adam and sonny because I think they are on the periphery of being playable. Adam probably slightly less so. Um, directives are still powerful, and the ability to get in and see two cards from turn one in HQ is better. Now, because there are less ways for Corpse to deal with the gender flood. Um, so, Adam definitely has some advantages, but I think probably will still um, not be preferred by players as their number one deck of choice. Uh, Sunny, on the other hand, I, I think has the potential um, to be up there. Sunny has efficient, well, not efficient breakers, but breakers that deal well with the ice that Corpse will want to play to beat the other Breakers, if that makes sense. You want multi-sub-ice, you want reasonably expensive ice to be able to deal with both Conspiracy Breakers and to tax out Shapers a little bit, uh, and Sunny's Breakers do deal pretty well with that. The challenge, as always, is um, finding your cards, getting them in the right order, and having enough economy, as well as multi-access. Um, there is a Sunny deck there, whether it's better than the Krim and Shaper, and Anarch combo e options, Probably not, but it's a competitor. On the Corp side, um, I think we might start with HB because that's sort of where your heart lies, but also where <laughs> your head's been recently. Yeah, um, CI is really the idea of choice now we haven't got ETF, isn't it? I mean, we talked about ETF at great length and what its loss will mean for the faction. Has that borne out in your testing? Yeah, I think
1: HB just doesn't really have another good identity that's even closer to the power level of ETF. And the fact that we now have Violet and Ultraviolet level clearance, both of which... You know we haven't had for even in the heyday of ci we didn't have cards that were that powerful when ci was very good um and so i kind of feel like that's the natural hb successor in terms of economy to etf just because it lets you play violet and ultraviolet level clearance primarily and that does have a few interesting effects on the metagame, definitely, just because CI is such a weird identity in how you have to build your deck around it. You really can't just play a regular game plan and expect it to be effective because you know going low is so bad, but you also have, in terms of credits, but you also have the potential to stockpile a lot of cards in your hand, which really changes the runner payout matrix. If they want to choose to run HQ or run R&D, it's a lot different for CI than it is for basically any other corp deck so Mm. that's definitely been an interesting exercise both as the runner and the corp to work out both what the best way of maximizing CI's benefits are but also from the runner's side how you can deal with such a strange game plan and I mean it's not like we haven't had CI in the format for ages it's been around for quite a while but given that now it's moving in I think a few different directions more to a greater extent than it did in the past so it's really unexplored territory
0: at the moment from both sides Mm. and the ability to close out games quickly with ci has been hampered a little bit obviously by the loss of exota diagnostics and the power shutdown errata and subsequent loss of that card um but there are still a lot of options to score two, three, five points, even seven in a turn. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I don't really see any other HP
1: identity at the moment having the ability to compete with that just because now CI has shifted to a more regular game plan in most instances. You can, you know, build a remote, score from a remote, fast advance sometimes, but those were all things that regular ETF decks did. Now that the difference between ETF and CI is not as large As it used to be, I really can't see any other
0: HB identity taking the crown. Mm -hmm. And on to Jinteki, which I think is more important in the game right now than it's ever been. um, Just because NBN and Wayland have diminished a little bit in power level with rotation, NBN in particular, which has to a large extent kept runners honest. a really long time in the game. HB has always had the ability to play a really efficient game, um, but NBN has punished runners who have just tried to out-efficiency HB um, with some different and divergent threats. Now that NBN just doesn't have the powerful cards or the core agenda scoring plan to actually be able to deliver on that threat, I think the Jinteki net damage cards are really the only Alternative threat that runners have to prepare for when they're coming to a tournament. Yeah,
1: exactly. Rather than having just making that runner about a money race and yeah, as you said, an efficiency race where it's just about the corp setting up defenses and the runner trying to score seven points by getting through those defenses. No, Jinteki has an alternate game plan where different axes matter and different points of interaction are apparent in the game between the runner and the corp. And so yeah, I think Jinteki has a lot of different ways it can go you can go more assets fewer assets more net damage less net damage or you know however you want to do it i think even hybrids of those strategies are very possibly good just because jinteki at the moment yeah has a wide range of very strong cards
0: yeah i think there are three cards that i wanted to call out in particular as being really interesting and central to the faction's power at the moment and those are shipment from tenon which opens up a huge range of fast advance options across different identities, your Tenant itself, um, biotech PE, anything really, and can be splashed out of faction as well as a threat. Um, Obakata Protocol, which is a five for three that you can, and I think really probably the only five for three in the current format, that you can legitimately have a game plan to try and score late. Um, and Kakugo, which I think is, one of the better ice at the moment the when passed ability is just such a different thing for runners to have to plan for that it just gives you a little bit more time it both contributes to the attrition race and disincentivizes multiple runs from runners
1: yeah and Parasite was really its natural predator and for a lot of Jinteki ice they were primarily kept down by Parasite not always in the history of the game but definitely more recently
0: mm, and Kamainu is another one that's worth mentioning in that vein as well yeah so the other two factions uh Wayland and NBN I've sort of foreshadowed have lost a little bit of their luster in some ways but there are some Wayland strategies that have survived um two in particular I think are uh, a Gagarin asset spam deck which is probably the better of the asset spam decks that's remaining
1: mm, I'm not sure about that I think Jinteki and Wayland both have both are scrapping out for that crown. I think it'll remain to be seen where that ends up going.
0: Yeah, so you've got Turtlebacks and hostile infrastructure naturally at home in Jinteki where you don't have to pay influence for them um, and bioethics as well if you choose that as your restricted card. And then you've got um, Gagarin as an ID, um, and obviously you got IG on the other side. And Bankers Group. Oh, but yeah, you've yeah. got Bankers Group, and um, most people aren't going to play Mumbai City Hall because you haven't really got many targets. Oh, it's banned. Yeah, it? yeah. definitely can't do that. Definitely can't do that. Um, you,
1: you know, you you got Boom as a backup threat uh, yeah the consulting visit boom plan is probably the biggest draw to Wayland at the moment just because MBN's really lost a lot as the mid damage faction which is probably a good thing from a game design perspective but that's i think primarily where i see Wayland's strength lying. Uh, i will also mention the titan fast events deck that's been going around mm-hmm. i think when i was saying before that clot has become powerful Just that was one of the main things I was thinking about, just because if you can score the first atlas without medium to really punish a very fast early game scoring strategy from the core, it makes that a lot more viable because you can very easily get to seven without the runner being able to do too much about it. And having an atlas counter in reserve, there really isn't that much for the runner to do to disrupt that so that's it gives that strategy a lot of inevitability if you're not relying on you know keeping an agenda in your hand
0: for a turn Mm. yep and the the last of those strategies is scorpios which uh, given that film critic is restricted is a little more powerful Um, hunter seeker also being restricted diminishes its power level a little bit because it's so much more likely that a runner's only going to steal three agendas and win the game because you will have some five for threes in there uh, but it's still got some game because it can fall back on the um, consulting visit plan, which is good with um, Hunter Seeker, uh, as well as good with Boom, which is, as we all know, a great way to close out games. And I think that
1: there's a couple of ways you can go with Scorpios, especially, and we saw that probably at the tail end of the last format, like as rotation was dawning upon us, where... We see Red Planet Couriers and Government Takeover being scored, but or a sort of rig shooter with all one type of ice, and both of those strategies sort of working in Scorpios, and it would be interesting to see how those two end up in the future. Absolutely. The last action is NBN, which is looking a little bit sad at the moment, safe to say. Yeah, I mean, it's held the crown for a long time, so it's probably not the worst thing in the world, but I do think that... Its main draw card is hard-hitting news at the moment, mm-hmm. the faction that most gets to leverage hard-hitting news in that you get still to have early assets if you're playing CDM or even Spark. Like or NEH. Or NEH, yeah. like Lots of asset-focused identities and a lot of pressure for the runner to run early or face economic downfall. Like, I think a bit more than Wayland, where Wayland's a bit more focused on scoring out or building up assets with NBN. It's, I think, a bit
0: more that you can sometimes do one, sometimes do the other. I think, yeah, part of the problem for NBN now is that your agendas aren't as good as they were and your ability to score those agendas is worse and they just don't help you really score the next one.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not the
0: case that, you know,
1: sometimes scoring and sometimes building assets, that's not always good because it means that you're kind of restricted from pursuing a singular game plan like Wayland has. So it'd be interesting to see if MBN can differentiate itself from Wayland. I think a lot of the tag punishment cards in MBN are strong in a sort of game plan that Wayland doesn't really want, but in terms of the main ways to land tags, those are sort of things that can be imported into Wayland. It's a bit funny that for the history of the
0: game, we've had all these Wayland cards that get imported into NBN, and now I feel like it's sort of the reverse. Hmm. Uh, nice to have a change. Uh, so in any case, that brings us to the end of our sort of metagame snapshot based on the banner restricted list and rotation. If you have any thoughts or anything you think that we've missed and should have talked about today, of which I'm sure there are many, many, uh, please get in touch with us by email at the at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at winningagenda, or you can check us out on Facebook. Our like page is The Winning Agenda. If you want to throw a few dollars our way, you can head along to www.patreon.com slash the agenda. And until next week, I have been Jesse Marshall here with Wilfie Hoag. Thanks for listening. Good night.